Ron and Anian. New does not mean good, but it's new. It's got to be good. What does new mean, Ron? Never ever work. The Car Doctor. This is my theory. By the time airflow gets to it, that coolant's already passed through the radiator and hasn't had a chance to dissipate enough heat. Welcome to the radio home of Ron and Anian, The Car Doctor. Since 1991, this is where car owners the world over turn to for their definitive opinion on automotive repair. If your mechanic's giving you a busy signal, pick up the phone and call in. The garage doors are open. But I am here to take your calls at 855-560-9900. And now, I feel good. Here's Ronnie. And I feel good is right. Hi, Ron and Amy and the Car Doctor here at 855-560-9900. Here to take your car question and solve your car problem. More information at cardoctorshow.com with various links to TuneIn, iHeart, and iTunes.com, all places you can podcast us from as well as Google Play. I thought this being 4th of July, the 4th of July weekend, as we kick the weekend off, I thought it would be an appropriate time to talk about, well, that junk in your trunk. Because maybe what's back there isn't necessarily what you expect to find should you unfortunately get a flat tire this weekend or any other time. 2016 Ford Mustang came into the shop this week at RA Automotive. And Henry and I were talking, and he, he had just purchased the car, and it was a conversation about, Ron, can I show you my spare tire? Sure, Henry, what do you got? And, you know, we, we've never really talked about this here on air, and it's, it's sort of a little humorous. Ford's idea of spare tires just doesn't seem to match mine, nor many of you, as I found from the Facebook post that I put up yesterday or the day before talking about this very problem. It seems that, and this has been going on for a couple of years now, Ford, like a lot of car companies, does not put a spare tire at all in a few of their cars, more than a few of their cars, it seems. And it's not a case that the tires on the car are run-flats. Run-flat tires are the tires that will run without air, run-flat, okay, as it were. So if you get a puncture, the tire would run anyway. The, what Ford is doing is they're putting regular tires. This Mustang had 19-inch rims on it, 19-inch tires, with no spare, absolutely no spare in the trunk. So I ask you, what's in your trunk? What Henry's got in the trunk is a tire mobility kit. So should you have the unfortunate situation where you get a flat tire and you go back there looking for the spare and the jack and all the other things, you won't find it. It's not there. What is there is a fancy can of something no less, none other than fix-a-flat, just a sealant that you're supposed to put in the tire through the valve stem, and an electric compressor that plugs into the cigarette lighter port, and it pumps up the tire. And that's great. You know, technology, I get it. Uh, further research, the reason a lot of this came out, and Ford's not the only one. Kia does it. General Motors does it on a few cars. Chrysler's doing it. Uh, the, the Asians are doing it. Everybody's doing it. The reason they're doing it is they're chasing fuel economy. They're chasing corporate average fuel economy. They're trying to lower weight by putting less in the vehicle and making mileage because they're all, they're still chasing fuel economy. Here's the stupidity part. How many times, show of hands, and I can see you from here, right? How many times, I wonder, have you gotten a flat where the tire's no good? 
you you take out the rim, you take out the tire, the tire gets gashed, it hits a pothole. All this kit does is has the ability to repair a typical eighth-inch puncture. Other than that, you're stuck on the side of the road, all in the interest of fuel economy. So Henry looked at me, and I actually showed him a video. If you get out to YouTube, there's a video there, Ford Tire. Google search Ford Tire Mobility Kit. And I put it up on our Facebook page. If you're on Facebook, you can get out there and see it. And you watch this, and your right eye starts to twitch like, what was the engineer thinking, or wasn't he? I often think of that movie, The Secret of My Success, 1988, with Michael J. Fox, and there's a clip in there where he's talking to one of his co-workers, and Michael J. Fox works in the mailroom, and uh, he's talking to his co-worker about becoming an executive, and he says, why would you want to do that? The minute a man puts on a necktie, cuts off all the oxygen to his brain, and he loses common sense. And you sit there, and you, you think of the engineer with the necktie designing this. Well, you know, we're going to make it so that if you get a flat on the side of the road, it's got to be a specific size, and if not, you're stuck. And you have to think, bad weather, good weather, all the scenarios of having a flat. When you get a flat, you know what? You're stuck. You've got to hope that you can get back. You've got to hope that the tire mobility kit works. And I I think this is a safety issue that we're not really acknowledging yet, that not a lot of people are aware of yet. I guess by the outcry I saw on Facebook, I was opening people's eyes for the first time. They're going, wait a minute, what do you mean there's no spare tire? There isn't. And here's the, here's the ugly part. There's no place to put a spare tire. The car's got 19-inch rims. You couldn't put a 19-inch rim in the trunk of that car if you put three fat guys on it and they jumped up and down for two and a half days. It just wouldn't fit. So before you start out on this 4th of July weekend, if you haven't already, or maybe you're going to go somewhere next weekend or you're going to take the family on vacation, what's in your trunk? You know, this is like that TV commercial. What's in your wallet? What's in your trunk? Are you ready for this? Henry was agog. I was kind of flabbergasted myself because I had heard of it. I'd never actually seen one. First time we're actually looking at the spare or the lack of the spare. But my concern is safety. My concern is what are you going to do when that tire is no good? I keep thinking to myself, I'm not really fixing cars during the week. I'm just gathering information to sit and talk about here on this radio show. And... I just want you to be aware, because that's part of what this is about, that not having a spare tire to me is just asking for a problem. And sooner or later, that problem is going to catch up to you. So take a look. I don't want to beat the point any harder than that. Just let's uh, let's take a look in the trunk and see what's back there. Get ready for summer driving and, and think about that on the side of the road event. And what are you going to do when the spare the tire that's on the car isn't replaceable, and you can't get a spare for the car. And I don't think you could for this Mustang anyway. They're 19-inch tires. One 19-inch tire would fill the trunk of this Mustang, making it virtually useless. So um, just some food for thought. What's in your trunk? Is it a bunch of junk, or is it something real? Hello and welcome. Ron Anany and the Car Doctor, as I've mentioned before, here at 855-560-9900. Interesting hour. We're going to be taking your calls. We're also going to be talking to Mason Mason owns a repair shop in Louisville, Kentucky, and we thought it would be fun to reach out to Mason and talk to him a little bit about what it's like to fix cars in Kentucky, and I want to hear his side of it, as I'm used to fixing cars here in Bergen County, New Jersey, and see what his perspective is on uh, things. I think it's going to be interesting to hear the perspective of, well, up here in Bergen County, when cars have need four-wheel brakes and the ashtrays fall and the gas tank's empty and it's three years old, they want to sell the car. I'm sure the age of the fleet in Kentucky is a whole lot older 
than uh, Bergen County, New Jersey. So we look forward to that. As I said, the phone number is 855-560-9900. Let me pull over and take this pause. When the car doctor returns, we're going to go to Phil in Omaha, Nebraska. Stay tuned. Welcome back. Ron and Annie and the Car Doctor here celebrating freedom with you today on this 4th of July weekend at 855-560-9900, the freedom of auto repair, as well as many other freedoms that we have here in this great country of ours. You know, before I go over to the phones, I just one last comment. I think the best analogy I could give you regarding the lack of spare tires in cars today makes about as much sense as the 24-cent gas tax here in New Jersey. They're both, they're both ideas that make absolutely no sense. And for the record, and I thought of this too, if we're going to put 24 cents a gallon gas tax on cars here in New Jersey for road and bridge repair, as a commentary, as a citizen of the state of New Jersey, I feel like I'm entitled to say this, and I'm welcome to listen to other ideas. What are you going to do for the hybrid owners that aren't buying as much gas but using the same roads and bridges? Kind of makes an interesting case, right? How come they're not being charged a separate fee to drive hybrids because, well, they're doing getting the same service and they're not paying their fair share of the uh Fair share of the market, so just uh, just one thought. Let's go and talk to Phil, Omaha, Nebraska. Phil, welcome to the car doctor, sir. How can I help you? Uh, hi, Ron. Yes, sir. Uh, thank, um, thanks to your call screener and producer. Very uh, professional for taking my call. You're very welcome. Uh, my question is regarding a 95 Chevy S10 Blazer. Uh, we need to replace the Lindor actuator. Is there any way possible to do that? Without the uh, removal of the dash. The actuator or the door? No, the actuator. Okay, the actuator itself. The only way you're going to be able to do this, well, you can try going in through the glove box. I'm trying to think of where this one is. Is this the one on top of the case? Um, yeah, I think it is, but you can't go through the... Uh, glove box. can't go through the glove compartment. Right. Then if We've you tried that several times. Right. There's just no way. Well, what I would do, what, uh, I, what I've done to try and sort this out is take the top dash pad off. Can you see the actuator? Do you have any hope of seeing the actuator? Does the dash pad come off by itself, or is it part of the instrument panel? I've done this um, on later know, it, models. Yeah, it's not my car. Okay. Uh, it's my grandson's car. Right. And... Uh, I don't. Re- I, I don't believe you can. No, I don't think. I don't think you can in '95 either. The, the mid '90s no. was a time frame when the manufacturers were kind of lost in terms of repairs like this, and they made it very difficult. They, there was no forethought or engineering put into these vehicles at all. Like the parts are never going to go bad, and they went bad very quickly. Uh, you, you know what I do in a case like this, and each one seems to be a little unique. If it's an actuator, I will try to remove a top dash pad, or I will try to access it either through a heater control or something else, anything that I can remove. At that point, anything I take out, I might have to take out anyway. 
And if I know the general right. location where it is in the dash, sometimes I can sneak my hand through. If I can touch it, I've got a chance of replacing it. It's just a matter of can I get to it. And yeah, if I, if, I, I did look up part configuration, and it appears to be uh, the same as the later 98, right. which would indicate that the mounting point uh, is the same, um, yes. but you just can't actuate um, get to it through the uh, the glove compartment. Right. Well, like I said, sometimes going through or removing heater controls or certain parts of the dash, I've had success yeah. doing it that way. Short of that, yeah, then the then the instrument cluster has to come apart. Yeah. And there's just there's just okay. there's just no other way to do it. Yeah, go ahead. Absolutely. Okay. A uh, long time ago, I heard you and um, one of your buddies there, the racer guy, talking about the uh, the original long tubes on the Chrysler uh, ram inducted engines of 1960. Okay. And the comment was that, boy, they must be stumbled uh, when you mash that accelerator to take off. Uh, we had a team. We dragged race two of these cars, one stick, one automatic. And I had a match race with uh, a noted uh, driver who was driving a uh, uh, the Super Duty uh, 1960 Pontiac uh, automatic. And I won that race, and I won it. Uh, right off the line, I got about a uh, – uh, his his front bumper was right with the A-pillar of my Dodge. Right. And we held that all the way through the strip. Uh, the point being is there was no lag. Uh, the other thing is that if you look at the configuration, remember how those uh, engines were the conventional 1843657272. Uh, Firing order. order, right? So you'd have uh, fuel starvation between five and seven. Well, you didn't have it with that uh, engine because of those long ram tubes. Why is that? You think? Well, because um, they didn't share a common manifold. Okay. Those tubes were thirty inches long on the right. automatics. Right. And. Uh, because five and seven were separated, it was like increasing the plenum by massive amount. And I think the reason we were thinking about could it have caused the stumble was because the length of the tube was such, could the airflow, you know, it, it has to get started somewhere. And yeah, that that would be that would be a common thought. Right. But uh, the sophistication of that manifold is that. Uh, why they called it sonoramic, or sono, meaning sound, is that uh, the intake valve caused a noise that reverberated up and down the length of those uh, chambers, those tubes, from the head of the valve to the opening uh, or beginning of the plenum chamber, or where the divided, divider ended as it approached the uh, intake plenum under the carburetor. And it created a positive pressure at the time of that intake valve open. So there was actually a greater than atmospheric pressure that the engine actually saw. So it became a, a ram charge effect in a sense? And and remember, that was the name of the group, the, the ram charge effect. Right, yeah, that's what made me think of it. Yeah, interesting. Yeah. What did you, hey, Bob, let me, yeah. uh, Phil, let me ask you, what did you do for a living? 
I, I actually was in sales and marketing, but I did uh, uh, heavy chemicals, industrial chemicals, so how, how, and later uh, micronutrients for the feed industry. So when you were match racing, what year was this? Uh, 1960. Wow. How old were you? You must have been, what, 17, 18 years old? Uh, I was, uh, at the time, uh, 22. I'll yeah. be 80 this year. Wow. What do you think? And I haven't lost my first. Yeah, you still want to go drag racing? Absolutely. Still got a hot rod? Uh, I have a Toyota Super Turbo. What do you think of the newer cars? Uh, well, they're magnificent. Yeah. I mean, you know, from my standpoint, performance, yeah, I mean, we're seeing engines now that, uh, well, look at these NASCAR engines. They're, what, 358 cubic inches and and approaching 850 horsepower, naturally aspirated. So, There's a lot of engineering in those cars. So I guess a guy like you looks at a, looks at a, a Hellcat and you say, wow, I wish I had one of these back in 1960. I wish I wish I had one now. Yeah. Oh. Whatever be, whatever became of that race car you had? Uh, I got married, and the car I bought after that was a six-cylinder Valiant because I had a kid on the way. Right. 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 The things so, we know, the things we knew then versus what we know now, right? Yeah, that's the truth, isn't it? Yeah. That car would have paid for the kid's college education. It would have. Yeah. It sure would have. Yeah. Hey, Phil, I got to tell yeah, you. That's interesting. Yeah, go ahead real quick. Uh, oh, well, I, I'll I'll call another time. I don't want to take up too much time. Well, You've got other callers. Yeah. Uh, always always a pleasure, sir. Listen, I enjoyed I enjoyed the feedback, and that was a long time ago. You're a long-time listener yeah. to the car doctor, I can tell. I'll tell you what, yeah. Phil, stay on the line. I'm feeling generous today. Harry, get Phil's name and address. Let's send him out a car doctor T-shirt and make him a member of the, make him a member of the family officially. Phil, you stay on the line. And uh, thanks for sharing your memories and thoughts. You know, a match racer from the 60s. Can you imagine that? You know, uh, the stories we could get him to tell us about, um, well, let's see, late-night drag race activity. That's got to be interesting to talk about. Um, maybe we'll do that. Harry, maybe we'll set Phil up and do a late-night um, late interview, something along those lines, and talk about drag racing. I'm Ron Anini in The Car Doctor. We'll be back to talk to Bob in New City, New York, right after this. Don't go away. Ron Anini, the car doctor here, spending the weekend with you at 855-560-9900. Let's get on over and talk to Bob, New City, New York, 91 Fleetwood, Brougham. Yes, Bob, how can I help you, sir? Uh, yeah, I have a uh, 91 Fleetwood, Brougham Cadillac. Okay. And I'm having trouble with the uh, left directional. It started out that it just wouldn't shut off. Now the light won't flicker at all. It don't blink at all. Okay, so so... You you go to make a left turn, neither mm-hmm. of the left directionals come on is what you're saying. Right. Okay. Um, anybody look at this? Anybody try and resolve this for you? No, I haven't. I But I have to take it in and have some work done on it. I had a uh, windshield wiper motor replaced on it. Okay. And when they did, evidently they unplugged my radio because I don't have a radio now. 
and I got underneath there. I'm an old man, but I still was able to get underneath there, and I cannot find where the radio is plugged in. Well, the radio's plugged in. If they're doing a wiper motor, why are they unplugging the radio? I don't know. Um, yeah, that's kind of that's kind of odd because the wiper motor's outside on the firewall. Yeah, you're kind of working. You know, that's like you change the left front tire and the right rear brake light stop working. Um, yeah, I mean, th- there may not be a connection to what they did, but obviously they're they're obligated to go back and look and say, okay, we did this and this. And, and mm-hmm. you know, just to be sure, uh, in regards to the directional, this is a pretty simple switch. Uh, you know, it's yeah. it's it's power in and it's signal out. So obviously I would check the wiring leading up to the switch and coming out of the switch. Uh, you mm-hmm. know, this is not, I doubt that both bulbs are burnt out. You should at least have a dash indicator if that were the case. So, well, the, the the dash indicator light comes on, but it won't it won't flash. Okay, so so, so when you turn on the left directional by itself, no mm-hmm. other no other lights on on the vehicle, they don't mm-hmm. blink. Does they don't blink? Right. Does either of the two directionals, the the front or the back, does either of the directionals light up? You know, I never bothered to check that, but I'll have to check it. Because if that's the case, then if the front lights up but the rear doesn't, it's just nothing more than a burnt-out directional bulb. Yeah, okay. All right. Right. Because originally uh-huh. you said to me that nothing lights up or that it doesn't No, just it, it doesn't uh, blink. Just the, it don't blink. It just right. comes on steady, and it won't blink. Okay. And it won't turn off. Right. It could be. It could be that you've got a bulb out. It could be that you've got a problem with the flasher. But the flasher shouldn't be side sensitive. Mm-hmm. The flasher should only be, uh, you know, both of them. Now, yeah, you know, yeah. as a possibility, thinking about it, unless you're just lucky enough, I wonder if you've got two bulbs that are out. Uh, well, I'm going to check and see. I, you know, right. If 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 neither bulb lights up, before you mm-hmm. dive under the dashboard and start looking there, just on the mm-hmm. chance of coincidence, I would at least pull the the easier of the two bulbs, which is probably the one in the back through the trunk, and take that right. bulb out and look at it. What does that look like? Okay. All right, sir. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And uh, this uh, this is my baby. It's uh it's got 143,000 miles on it. And it does not, I don't take it out. I, you know, I don't even know why I change the windshield wiper motor because I don't take it out of the garage if it's raining. Five liter or 5.7? Uh, five liter. Yeah. They were good cars. They really were. Last oh. of the, this, this is the last of the rear wheel drives. Yeah, yeah. And it is a, it is a beauty, I want to tell you. When, when I, I, I usually take it in the St. Patrick's Day Parade, and, and I get all the oohs and ahs as I drive down the street. Yeah, people remember when cars were cars, and that was definitely one yeah. of them. Yeah. Yep, mm-hmm. absolutely. Okay, thanks a lot. You're welcome, Bob. You take good care. Um, always interesting, right? You start talking about older cars, and uh, maybe it's appropriate for our next guest. And uh, I was going to sit here and try and convince him that we work on all new cars up here, but here I am talking about 91 Cadillac Fleetwood Bromes. Let's welcome Mason Shield, Shield Service in Louisville, Kentucky. And, Hello. Uh, hey, Mason, how are you? Ron and Annie in the car, Doctor, sir. Um, we uh, thought, pretty good. Yourself? Not bad. We thought this would be kind of an interesting gig to uh, compare, you know, two mechanics compare, hey, war stories of, of a sort. You know, here I am in, in the very affluent part of the country as far as northeast uh, Bergen County, New Jersey, and 
you know, my favorite expression up here is if the gas tank's empty and the ashtray's full and people need brakes, they want to get rid of the car. And uh, I've said that more than a few times to Harry, my producer, and he said, no, nah, that's not the way it is in Kentucky, and uh, let's go down and talk to Mason and see what his thoughts are. So uh, let's start off like this, Mason. Let's t- talk a little bit about yourself. You know, how'd you get into this? How long have you been doing it? Well, our shop, Shield Service, has been open since 2001, about 15 years now. Right. Uh, it was actually started by my dad. He had been a carpenter and was told by the doctor, we can either operate on your back or you can change professions. Right. So he changed professions. Right. Um, I came in about 10 years ago or so. I'd been out doing my own thing. I was getting fed up with it. He needed the help. So I came in, started working on it and in the business, and last September bought the business. So has the business been what you've expected it to be? You know, things are changing quickly for me up here. Are you seeing change down there in terms of the age of cars you're working on and what people will repair? Oh, yeah. Uh, we talk about it all the time. You know, I was doing inventory yesterday, and I had bushings for Ford intake warners that we haven't used in years. Right. But, you know, five years ago, that was all the thing. You had to do them on every Ford. Right. Um, yeah, I mean, as the cars get newer, I mean, you're seeing a lot of the early 90s OBD1 cars going away, which is a good thing. Yep. Um, but we still get a lot of cars, you know, early 2000, you know, early 2000s are now what's getting given to all the kids now. So we're seeing them a lot that we're working on with, you know, some late nineties and some, you know, later two thousands. What was the, what was the newest car you worked on this week? Oh, I've had, uh, actually I just had a two, I had a couple of 2014s in here today, actually for oil changes. Okay. And what's the oldest um, car you worked on this week? Uh, 91 E150. What'd you do to that? I put a couple of tires on it. Right. It was in here for suspension issues and just turned out it had bad tires. And, and how many miles are on that E150, do you remember? About 160,000. And they're still driving it, right? See? Yeah. They, uh, they actually, they bought it. We did a bunch of suspension work on it a few months ago. And they bought it back. They just drove it down to Florida and back. And they noticed it was a little loose in the highway. Hmm. See, up here in Jersey, if someone had a, let's see, 91, 2001, 2011, that vehicle's 25 years old. Yeah. Uh, Up here, uh, that vehicle, if it needed tires, they'd throw it away and go buy a new one. Absolutely, positively. They wouldn't drive anything that old. It's just absolutely amazing to me. Yeah. I mean, Louisville, I mean, we got some upper class, but Louisville is a large middle class community, I would say. I mean, we got a lot of Ford workers, a lot of UPS workers. Let me ask, so, yeah, you got people buying a lot of new cars, but we got a lot of used stuff going around also. So, real quick before I let you go, Mason, cost of living. You know, we, yeah. we, we talk about it. They say that certain parts of the country are cheaper than others. But I've always maintained the point that the repair shop in Louisville, Kentucky, has to buy the same scan tool that the shop in Waldwick, New Jersey, has to buy, that the shop in Dallas, Texas, has to buy. That $5,000 scan tool is still $5,000. Yeah. Is it is it tough for you guys to keep up on tooling? How many scan tools do you have in the shop? Uh I have two good ones. Um and I yeah, I mean we my family used to live in Connecticut, so I know about the difference in cost of living. Right. Yeah, sure. <laughs> There's a reason we live in Louisville now. Right. Um Yeah, I mean the the equipment's still the same. The parts are still the same. Yeah, it's a little bit cheaper and you know, 
the land down here is a little bit cheaper, so we can buy a building cheaper. Right. Um, you know, we can pay. You know, guys get probably make a little bit less just because the cost of living down here is a little bit less. Right. But majority of the cost is the same. All right. So it's it's got to be tougher for you than the shop in the affluent area because you're trying to keep up with the technology, which costs the same but at a lower labor rate at a lower profit point, a lower income level. Correct. Um, I you know honestly, um, I'm trying to think how the world is good. We. I mean, we price ourselves accordingly to what we think our service is worth. And right. I've found if you provide the service to the customers, they, they they will pay. Right. You know, you provide good service, you know, they they will pay. You know, I said people want the deal experience. They might not want to pay for it, but that's what they want. Now, and we try to provide that as much as we can. Now, how many people down there do you think are leasing? You brought up dealers. Is leasing big in Louisville? You know, I honestly could not tell you. I don't have too many customers of myself that, that that I know lease. Isn't that interesting? Yeah. Yeah. Um, I know they push it down here. The dealerships are constantly wanting ads trying to get people to lease. But right. I don't really know how popular it is, to be honest. See? Now, up here, I can tell you from experience, leasing, leasing is a way of life up here. It's a lifestyle. Mason, I'm afraid we got to cut it short. Listen, if there's a, if there a website, the listeners, maybe there's listeners in Louisville that want to go and learn more about you and your service, is there a website for you guys at all? Yep. Well, we have a website. It's shieldservice.net. Uh, we're also on Facebook, Google, all them places. Right. Okay. Hey, listen, we're going to we're gonna talk again, and uh, thanks for taking care of Harry when he's down there. Yeah. No, no, no problem. All right. You take good care, Mason. Have a good rest of the day. You too. Thank you. I'm Ron Anini in the Car Doctor. We are back right after this. Welcome back. Ron and Annie and the Car Doctor here at 855-560-9900. That was a fun interview. Um, I have to once again say thank you to Mason uh, Shield, uh, Shield Service in Louisville, Kentucky, for uh, taking the time out. And um, just a different perspective because I, I've always said this, and I'll, I, I believe this with all my heart, that auto repair is a national phenomenon with regional issues, that what's important to me in Bergen County is different to the guy in Kentucky, is different to the guy in Florida, and so on. And um, it's just by the location of the business and the climate and the environment that cars are operated in that makes things different and more difficult. Quick piece of email. Hey, Ron, just a suggestion about mice. And I know my chief engineer, Tom Ray, is going to love this one. We've used them in our campers. And in terms of dryer sheets, when we store them for the off-season, I've used them around the home, too. might work for the gentleman with his problem. This is from Janine. Uh, this is from a bit ago. Uh, a couple of months back, they sent us this email. I'm just getting around to it now. I'm sorry we found it in the bottom of the pile. Uh, I know that, and I've said this on air here about mothballs, and I always thought mothballs would deter would deter mice. Until one day, Tom Ray, my chief engineer, was up working on a radio transmitter site for another radio station, and um, one of the radio stations he serves. And uh, Mr. Mouse, the next morning when I walked in, not only uh, apparently liked the mothballs, but decided to make his bed out of them. Right. So it was like, know, hello. So you found the mouse that was, you know, anti-mothball proof. 
Either that or he, you know, it was all the radio signal he's been eating. You know, I, I don't know what it was, but oh, my God. So, But dryer sheets. Now, that's interesting, too, about using dryer sheets to deter mice. And um, I think that's an interesting uh, idea, too. And, oh, well, I tell I'll, you, I'll, if they don't like mothballs. Well, dryer sheets might be the blanket. Uh, well, that's true. They keep them nice uh, and warm. Keep them nice and warm, so but uh, it's worth worth a shot. That, and let me just do this other little piece of maintenance. Last week we were talking about GDI, gasoline direct injection, and there was a little bit of confusion, and I want to try and clear this up. Gasoline direct injection puts the fuel directly into the cylinder. Puts it So basically, all right, it's not like a conventional intake system in terms of how it's cleaned, and that's an issue. And I want to point that out, that they're still feeling their way, in my opinion, with regards to gasoline direct injection and how it cleans the intake chambers and the exhaust valves and so forth. But gasoline direct injection does not spray on the intake valves. It will spray in the area of the intake valves, making in-tank cleaning solutions work. But GDI is completely different than fuel injection, as you may know it. So uh, keep that in mind in terms of servicing it. You cannot properly service GDI in the high-pressure pump area of the fuel rail uh, like you would a regular port fuel or regular fuel rail injection system. So um, just something else to talk about, something else to make you aware. 855-560-9900. I'll be back right after this. Don't go away. My pappy said, son, you're going to drive me to drinking if you don't stop driving that hot rod Lincoln. story of the hot rod race with the Fords and Lincolns was set in the pace. That story is true. I'm here to say I was driving that Model A. Welcome back. Ron Anini and the Car Doctor here. Uh, real quick, I just want to touch on this uh, interesting story from the shop this week. We had a 2008 Honda Ridgeline that came in. The owner had been traveling. He'd been away. He'd been in South Africa for a while, and he was uh, gone probably the better part of six weeks. And when he came back, the vehicle developed a power steering leak. And we went through, looked at it, and we could see where it was leaking. It didn't have like a real hose clamp on it. It had one of those cheesy pinch clamps that you take with a pair of pliers and you squeeze it open to get it off. And it was a very low-pressure hose. It was actually the power steering return hose on the left lower side of the engine compartment. Rubber hose came out of the rack, went to a steel line. Put a regular hose clamp on it, looked at it. It was dry. Everything was fine for a couple of days. Three days later, the leak returned, brought it back in, and the hose clamp was tight. Everything was in place, but it was leaking the exact same spot. Took it apart. I had never seen this before, and I thought I would pass it on. Took it apart. The steel line had actually corroded, and it was leaking from the inside out before the clamp, or actually after the clamp, so that it was in an area of the line that was exposed, creating the issue. Always look at the steel line. I'm Ron Anini and the Car Doctor. The mechanics aren't expensive. They're priceless. See ya. Tomorrow all the things were gone. I'd worked for all my life, and I had to start again. Just my children and my wife Thank my lucky stars To be living here today Cause the flag still stands for freedom And they can't take that away 
today Cause there ain't no doubt I love this land God bless the 